Welcome back to I Am Journal Club. Today we're back with a special episode. I'm here in Munich, uh, Germany at the Institute for Biometry, Epidemiology and Medical Information Processing. And we're doing a cropside consult with our methods consultant, Professor Ulrich Mansmann. Our topic is network meta-analysis. And first we'll talk about some basics and then we'll do a deep dive. So this should be very interesting. Let's jump right in. So uh, let's start with a personal question. Um, can you recall a situation where you were a biostatistician or an epidemiologist working with a subject matter expert or clinician and the study you were working on had a non-significant result? How, how was that? I mean, the non-significant result is challenging and you have to prove that it's really an issue of the treatments, that they are equal or not too different. And to do this, you, have to, you need a trustful design. And you have to prove that you followed the general rules, like setting up a clear protocol, that the study was done with respect to the protocol, that you did a trustful analysis just by setting up a statistical analysis plan before you did close the, the database, and then that you followed your plan um, as you determined it before. And these are issues which are really secrets for clinicians. It looks very unpractical. It looks like uh, against uh, practical thinking. And it needs a lot of understanding on the side of the clinicians uh, to accept this kind of procedure. Mm. And there are colleagues which have problems accepting it. Yeah. And we met some of them. But I'm very happy that I had a lot of colleagues just accepting this procedure and this have been mostly neurologists and cardiologists mm -hmm. and oncologists mm -hmm. um, and it happens that for example negative studies showing no difference would be published in high-ranked journals like Lancet or BMJ. Mm -hmm. So before we get to the uh, network type uh, can you tell us what a meta-analysis is? A meta-analysis is a quantitative summary of study results. And mostly it is part of a systematic review. And a meta-analysis should be part of a systematic review, but not each systematic review may have meta-analysis. So this is a, a difference. I mean, the systematic review prepares the material from the side of, of content, of bias, uh, and then one decides if the material you have is sufficient, we go for the meta-analysis. But there are a lot of experiences in systematic reviews that a meta-analysis is not possible because the material is too heterogeneous uh, or may not have enough quality regarding the bias assessment. Mm -hmm. So you said there are systematic reviews with and without meta-analysis and if you're able to do a meta-analysis it's sort of a quantitative synthesis of the controlled studies, yeah. is that right? That yeah, but you if you collected? do a meta-analysis consisting of the material of different studies, you have to have a very clear look on the studies and you have to assess the quality of the studies and actually you have to go through uh, all the steps of systematic review. What is my PICO? How do I um, search for studies? How do I extract content? How do I the study selection? How do I the bias assessment? And how do I decide what is a good study to include or not? Mm. And if you have done all of this, then the meta-analysis makes sense. Yeah. If you wouldn't do this um, and would simply do meta-analysis, you may not be sure if your meta-analysis would give a trustful result. Mm. So you need both uh... The method, but before that you have to actually look at the 
validity of the studies if it's okay yeah. to pool them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's pivot to a network meta-analysis. What's sort of the added benefit of a network meta-analysis? The network analysis um, just looks on, a, on multiple treatments, not like a classical meta-analysis just on two treatments or the comparison. So you would like to have a comparison between multiple treatments. And the interesting part comes in, okay, if you would have for each of this treatment a face-to-face -face comparison in a randomized controlled trial, it would be fine, you would know a lot. But the problem comes in, you are interested in comparisons between treatments where never a randomized trial took place. And this is the strength of this multiple treatment comparisons or the so-called meta, the network meta-analyses um, to give us quantitative estimates for comparisons which never have been performed in reality. Mm -hmm. So the keyword that I heard there was indirect treatment comparison and yep. then you have the direct treatment comparison like in a classical meta-analysis and then you combine, combine them, is that right? Yeah, then you have also this mixed comparisons but for a pharmaceutical company, it's important to improve the power of a comparison. And for them, because with a smaller confidence interval for the effect, you may gain a lot of money. And therefore, they are interested also to have the direct comparisons improved by combining them with indirect comparisons, this mixed comparison approach. Mm -hmm. Therefore, both are of interest and both are just looked at. Mm -hmm. But you would not have a multiple uh, network comparison if you would just have direct and indirect comparisons between two treatments. Mm -hmm. uh, it comes in a larger framework if you have a set of different treatments and you go on. For example, we did one in diabetes 2 patients and looked, uh, for example, on alternative treatments and what is the effect on reducing uh, this HP. 1AC or I don't know, <laughs> uh, endpoint or other important endpoints. Uh, the interest was uh, what would happen if a patient would not be able to get treated with metformin anymore, which is a standard. What would be a second choice or a third choice? Uh, and therefore we performed this kind of network and meta-analysis incorporating all different um, treatments. I think it have been seven or eight. Um, and even we have been interested at the end on a ranking. So what would be the best after metformin? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a very interesting example. Um, another example is the last study we discussed in our journal club, which was a deep vein thrombosis prophylaxis against that. And we had uh, low molecular weight heparins, unfractionated heparin, uh, direct uh, um, oral anticoagulants, and uh, from the parano, so like four active treatments. Uh, and then there were some studies that were head-to-head, -head, for example, low molecular weight versus unfortunate heparin. And then there were other studies that were placebo-controlled or even studies without uh, placebo-control just against a standard of care. So this network meta-analysis that we discussed last time, I was able to use all these different combinations of comparisons. Um, and so you, you gain uh, statistical power. I mean, power is the, the wrong term here, but you gain a sort of sample size if you incorporate all these different comparisons, correct? You gain two things. You gain possible power for specific comparisons with a mixed approach, and you get comparisons which have been not there before, what is also of interest. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. But the problem is, 
the first step is how to formalize such a setting of a multi-treatment comparison. Um, and why is this network there? So how to build a network? And if you look at papers, it looks like you have for each treatment a so-called edge, a so-called node in a larger graph. And the comparison between two treatments is presented by an edge. And this creates the network be between all these treatments. And if you look at the papers, you can see that each edge has sometimes a number, like five or two or one. And this is um, the number of trials behind this direct comparison. So this network has to be set up. And there are a lot of difficult questions related to it. For example, just how would you represent an indirect comparison in it? Uh, you would have some baseline treatment and you would have A here and a comparison. You would have another trial with a baseline treatment and B here as a comparison. And you would like to know how to do this. Formally, it's a kind of subtracting log transformed effects or differences of means. Mm -hmm. But the issue is, how can we do these two things into one graph by combining the baseline treatments for different trials into one node in your graph? Mm -hmm. There are a few arguments. One argument is that in a randomized trial, often the effect estimate does not depend so much on the setting of a trial. We know this is now a little bit... Um, put under question because um, we have random effect models where we allow some variability. But if you make a random effect model and you put the two things together in this is triangle without one missing link, one is believing this is possible. And there is a kind of empirical study or evidence. It's a paper in BMJ. The author is Song and there's also uh, Douglas Altman, a co-author, you will find it if you, if you look with this uh, information, BMJ, Indirect Comparison, Song and Altman, which simply try to, to look at situations where you have direct comparison and even indirect comparisons. And they prove that they fit not badly to each other. Mm -hmm. But this cannot always be taken as granted. And if you go to this deeper formalism of network meta-analysis, you will learn how to test if this kind of consistency exists or not. Mm -hmm. um, and there must be assumptions you have to satisfy in order to run a network meta-analysis, isn't that right? There is a lot of assumptions. Um, I mean, we just discussed one, how to combine different trials with a specific treatment arm in mm -hmm. one node. Mm -hmm. And I just mentioned later on, if you have formalized the whole thing, you can test for this kind of consistency. Mm. And you have to think about, can we just imply that a direct effect is similar to the indirect effect? Also, this can be tested later on in a formal representation of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And the big issue is now, if you have your network, how can you transform it into a more, how to say, abstract regression model in order to estimate this kind of effects you're interested in. And to do this, you need another specific assumption that you can choose a so-called spanning tree, which means you choose a kind of treatment, it may be placebo or a standard or something like this, where you have connections 
to most of your treatments. And if you have a network, a spending tree is an arbitrary choice. You can choose different spending trees uh, for the same problem. And the big issue is that the results should not depend on the spending tree. So there, have, there are several methodological aspects which are in a way to be tested in order to trust the results of a network meta-analysis. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the placebo control. In the last study we discussed, there were some studies where there was no placebo control, but the comparison was no treatment or standard of care. You can't just combine those networks. No. You have to analyze them separately, correct? Or you have the treatments be separated in your network. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what about uh, heterogeneity between trials? Uh, don't the, the trials have to be sort of similar in terms of the patients that they include, for example? I mean, you can make assumptions and you can just think that a random effect setting for this whole complex thing is helping you to, to handle this kind of, of um, heterogeneity. But this is something which is now too difficult for me to explain. But there are checks, formal checks provided by respective packages mm -hmm. in R or which are around from methodologists, yeah. um, which help you to, to do some diagnosis in this respect. Mm -hmm. yeah. So are there trials which somehow fall out? Yeah. They are totally different in characteristics. Yeah. So analogous yeah. to classical meta-analysis where you can also assess yeah. heterogeneity. Mm -hmm. yeah. And would you uh, recommend uh, in general to run uh, random effects models? Would you choose a Bayesian approach or does it depend on the... The so random effect model is needed. Mm -hmm. But you can do it in the frequentist setting mm -hmm. as well as in the, in the Bayesian setting. Mm -hmm. um, this issue with the random effects has one additional delicate aspect. Um, if you think you have just two armed trials, it's fine. Then you are in a kind of the classical random effect approach. But if you have suddenly three armed trials, four armed trials, and so a connection in your network or different connections in your network coming from the same trial, uh, you need specific issues introducing dependent random factors. Hmm. This is solved. In the frequentist as well as in the Bayesian setting, you have to make some assumptions on correlations between the arms. This is possible. Mm -hmm. And how can you express uh, the results? Um, I heard that it's, for example, possible to, to rank uh, the treatments, the treatment options. Yeah, this is quite of interest to have a ranking. You can just take your estimates and put them in order. but. The problem of a ranking is always, are two different ranks really different? Mm -hmm. So you have to take into account the variability of ranks. Mm -hmm. And um, there is now for me the practical difference between the Bayesian approach and the frequentist approach. Because studying the variability in the ranking is much easier with the Bayesian approach mm -hmm. and the uh, Gibbs sampling based sampling of ranks. So you could look at distributions, how stable is a rank of a certain treatment mm -hmm. in the whole setting. Yeah. And if, for example, these distributions are very flat, this would mean this, it could take each rank, or if you have a rank which is, which is a well-expressed mode of the distribution, then you have a 
a better feeling. So this is much more easy. It's a, it's a basin approach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So last question. Do you think that network meta-analyses are over or underutilized? Very difficult to answer. But um, I think it's underutilized. If you do it correctly and with enough diligence, then you learn a lot about different treatments. I know in Germany the issue about how to use indirect comparisons, for example, to improve your added value assessment, is still not settled. So ICWIC does not like it. Because there are a lot of, how to say, pitfalls in the whole thing, and you never know if you avoided them all. I think, for example, in the British setting with NICE, they are less uh, afraid of getting misguidance by this kind of meta-analyses. And I think, in a way, it's important to order the whole space of treatments regarding a certain indication. You have only this tool of the network meta-analyses. So in my opinion, it is uh, underused. You should do it more of mm -hmm. them. Okay. But it's complicated and you need methodological guidance. You need a good methodological background to do it. And you need a lot of experienced people doing the study assessment. So it's much, much more work as a simple meta-analysis. Professor Mansman, thank you so much for this methods primer. Okay, thanks a lot to you for inviting me and giving me this chance to speak about it. Thanks for tuning in to this Methods Primer on Network Meta-Analysis with our, our Methods Consultant, Professor Ulrich Mansmann. Remember, we're also available at a podcast. Simply search I Am Journal Club in every podcast app and we'll be back with our next I Am Journal Club on Friday morning. See you in the next one.